Good evening, everyone. Good to see you here tonight. Welcome to Grace Church on a Wednesday night. For those of you here on campus, good to see you. And for those of you joining us via live stream, we appreciate you joining in with us as well. I want to give you just a few announcements this evening. Uh, first of all, the Mission Louisiana pledges. For those of you that have committed to that, uh, we want to let you know that a category has been set up on Easy Tithe for Mission Louisiana for your convenience. Also, uh, this coming Sunday, Brother Tim LeBlanc will be with us. He'll be working with the praise team that Saturday and be with us in our worship service on Sunday. And uh, he, he's excellent at what he does, and we're looking forward to having a great time with him. And then, uh, Saturday, November 4th, the third annual chili cook-off. And um, if you would like to enter a pot of chili, please contact Sister Sheila Landry in the church office and let her know that you would like to participate in that particular competition. I hope I hope a lot of you uh, get involved in that. I, I enjoy tasting your wares. So thank you for your service to the kingdom in that regard. Um, I know we don't normally have a sponsored message for uh, the opening of a Wednesday night service, but tonight's service is brought to you by Ethan Cooper, who was kind enough to drive the family on the way to church while I typed furiously on my iPad. So, Ethan, thanks for filling in in a pinch. Um, time is, is short these days. But I just want to leave you with a thought real quick uh, about your internal narratives. Uh, your internal narratives, the things that you tell yourself throughout the day as you encounter different situations, those internal narratives matter a lot, uh, like a lot, a lot. In Matthew 8, we read the story of Jesus and the disciples whenever they are cut, uh, caught in a, in a very sudden and serious storm. And Jesus is fast asleep, and the disciples are in a panic. And in verse 25 of Matthew 8, they wake Jesus up, and they're shouting, and they're saying, Don't you care that we are going to drown? Don't you care that we are about to die? And that sentence gives us insight into their internal narrative. We all go through storms in life. We all encounter those unexpected things that arise and kind of take over. But our internal narrative will either calm our response to those external storms or create an even bigger internal storm. And the disciples were telling themselves in that moment that Jesus didn't care about them, that he was not concerned about them, and they were going to die, and hence their panic. So what, what internal narratives do you have? What do you tell yourself whenever you are in the middle of a storm? Understanding those internal narratives is crucial to how we navigate the journey of life and how we deal with the trials and the troubles that are invariably going to arise. You contrast what they went through with Paul. Paul, however, had a very different internal narrative during the storm he went through because his internal narrative was based on the truth of who Jesus is and who Paul was in Jesus, not just the tense reality of the storm that he was in and that was raging around him. He didn't deny the storm, but he embraced a broader, truer perspective. In Acts 27, we read about Paul being a prisoner on a boat, and he's caught in this storm that lasted for weeks. And at the point whenever it looked like all hope was gone, Paul receives a message from God that says, Take courage. You're not going to lose your life. Even though the ship will go down, everyone is going to be fine. You talk about attention and truth moment. You're going to be fine. The ship's going to go down, Paul, but you're, you're going to be fine. And Paul chooses in that moment to fix his thoughts on the whole truth, despite the crisis of a pending shipwreck and an ongoing storm. Think about that for a moment. And then the end of the story, his confident hope, resulted in over 270 lives being saved. He had an internal narrative that included the big picture, eternal perspective to hold on to regardless of the circumstances that he was in. That's why he could praise in prison. That's why he could declare that to live is Christ and to die is gain. His internal narrative was different. Pay attention 
to your internal narratives. They matter more than we often realize. Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening. Thank you, Brother Jason. Good to see y'all tonight. Thank y'all for being here, as always. And uh, been excited about the service tonight. And uh, appreciate what Brother Jason just had to say to us. And speaking of Brother Jason, he did a fap an absolute fabulous job this past Sunday uh, ministering to us. And perhaps... If you didn't feel like you were in a place of transition, maybe that sermon didn't resonate with you like it did many others that were here Sunday, and I've heard lots of comments about it. And uh, so if you weren't here Sunday, I'd suggest you go back and uh, watch that presentation uh, on our website. <clears throat> um, I have a little presentation to make uh, tonight. I got this. Uh, I received this email from uh, Brother Weber, our district superintendent, and uh, on the in the upcoming election on October the 14th, there is an amendment on that ballot, and probably most of you have heard about it, but Brother Weber writes, please make your congregations aware of this very important amendment. It's called Amendment 2 being voted on this October 14, it would be wise for all of us to vote for this amendment, which if passed, could raise the level of protection for churches and other places of worship. The, um, there are several websites that he's recommended. If you'd like to have those, I can share those with you. But here's the amendment. Uh, do you support an amendment to provide that the freedom of worship in a church or other place of worship is a fundamental right that is worthy of the highest order of protection. A vote for that would declare the highest level of constitutional protection for the freedom to worship in a church or another place of worship, requiring courts to apply the strictest level of judicial review to challenges when government bodies restrict access. A vote against Amendment 2 would be to maintain the current constitutional protections which provide that the free exercise of religion is a fundamental right subject to the highest level of scrutiny under Louisiana law but do not specifically single out houses of worship. I think we all know, what, know and remember what happened during COVID. Um, and we know that there was a local pastor that uh, refuse to abide by the stay-at-home order, don't have church, and what have you. And he actually ended up winning that case, and all charges against him was dropped. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And, uh, uh, but this would protect, even in times like that, when the government wants to shut down a church, church worship for, for any reason, um, it would not be able to as freely as it happened the last time during COVID. So if you would consider that, it would be deeply appreciated. We'll mention it again from now till election day, um, that you, first of all, exercise your constitutional right that people fought and shed their blood for, and that is a privilege to go vote. A, do that. B, if you care about your church and being able to gather, uh, putting it, our freedom to worship under the highest level of protection by our constitution here in Louisiana, then vote for that amendment. So uh, if you'd remember that, uh, it would certainly be a, a huge blessing to all churches of all faiths, all denominations uh, in the future. <clears throat> so remember that if you would. Uh, that being said, again, it's great to see all of you. Thank you for being here. And I want to read my text tonight. I will continue uh, the theme, the series that I've been on for the, the, for the past uh, several Wednesday nights. Of course, we were out of town last Wednesday night, but prior to that, um, this is our, our third presentation on, in this series. I want to read tonight from Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. Very familiar reading. Uh, all of you, no doubt, will know it, will remember it. Um, 
but there is a point that I want to drive home tonight, a kind of a hashtag I want to drive home tonight. Matthew 15, 21, then Jesus went thence, then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were cities in the country of Lebanon. Tyre is about 12 miles north of the border of Israel and Lebanon. So if Jesus was in Jerusalem or in that area, this would take him probably two or three days to make this journey. And commentaries uh, debate on why he went. I think he went to meet this woman, to minister to her and what have you. Verse 22, and behold, a woman of Canaan. This would be a Gentile woman, a, a woman that the Jewish people would not want to have any company with, would not want to fool with, etc. A woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Notice this, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. That's a Jewish statement. Gentile people don't know him as the son of David. And it would be, it would be interesting to me to know where she heard that. But she didn't say my marriage is bad and I need some counseling and she didn't say my kids are acting up and I need some help and I'm burnt out and I'm tired. And She said her daughter is grievously vexed with a devil and that is no small thing. There's probably people here tonight that thinks your kids is close to that point. But he answered her not a word. thought a lot about this dialogue between Jesus and her and um, I have been questioned very seriously and, and perhaps rightfully so that someone would text me I would get it read it and then get distracted not respond right away sometimes forget completely forget to respond to it and three or four days later They'll just kind of in a real sweet way, let me have it, man. You, get, you didn't get my text? Yeah, why aren't you texting me back? And then assume all of these issues. This woman is making a very serious request of Jesus. She is fighting a devil in her home, and he ignores her. We'll put it kind of in our cultural ways of operating it would be as though someone comes up for prayer and we all just sit there and just completely ignore you standing there don't do nothing don't say nothing and just go right on with the service with you standing there wanting to be prayed for how would that make you feel uh, would you come back to grace church on the next service I know people who's left for a whole lot lesser reason than that. Amen. Everybody say amen. He answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. She crieth after us, or she's a nut. Send her away. But he finally decided to respond to her and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're not a part of that, so go away. And she came she and worshipped him. I wish the Bible, the writer, would have recorded what she said. What was her words of worship? Saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. So he's ignored her. She's worshipped him, and now he's calling her a dog. And what's interesting to me, in verse 27, she said, you're right. I am a dog. What you just said about me is true. But dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I preached a sermon here, here, here a while back about the, the distance between a prayer and the answer. And this is another example of a woman leaving Jesus totally confident 
and believing what he said. Your daughter's okay. Just go on home. She's okay. And she believed that and left him. Didn't ask him to come with her. He just, he just, she just left and that was that. I want to talk to you again tonight asking the same question that I have previously. Would God use me? This is about the Syrophoenician woman. I want to begin tonight, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little convoluted right now, conflicted, because there's about three directions I want to go with this, and I think it would be better if I stick with my notes. But the question I want to ask tonight, would God use me? I'd like to, to frame that a little bit better and say, he probably would, depending on how far you're willing to go. Jesus left Jerusalem, the area around Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee, etc. And had to have walked two or three days to go from there to, to Tyre. Sidon was even north of Tyre in the country of Lebanon. About 12 miles inside that border. Jesus was willing to go that far. And the paradox to this, this story he knew, of course, that she was going to be there. He knew what was going to transpire. And she came to him just sheer desperate. And he ignored her. And you want to say, well, why did you go all that far if you knew you was going to counter this woman and you knew what was going to happen and then you ignore her? The Syrophoenician woman is an example of an earnest, determined seeker that would not be discouraged. And Jesus ultimately upheld her as a huge example of great faith. I thought about this, uh, her hunger, her being desperate. It, it, the, the atmosphere and environment at Youth Congress this year, the night Sister Murphy and I went, we both agreed. The first thing we noticed is those young people were there because they were hungry for a move of God. They wanted all of them, and very few of them knew. Let me say it this way. There was just pockets and groups of young people. Our youth group hardly knew anybody outside of our youth group that was there. But they all had the same attitude, the same feeling. This woman was desperate. And for the setting of our study tonight, it involves Jesus leaving his comfort zone his homeland of Israel. This is the first time he leaves the nation of Israel after entering into his ministry. He was proving and setting a precedent that I will go wherever I have to go to minister to somebody. I want to be... Just real honest and transparent here tonight. I think all of us here tonight, everybody sitting in this building here tonight, should be willing at least on a Sunday morning to walk across the aisle to pray with somebody. I think we all should be willing to just take a few steps down the aisle to pray with somebody up around the front and not just cling to the back like, can this hurry up and be over? I need to go to lunch. Jesus would use us more if we were willing to take a few steps outside of our comfort zone. I saw this happen last night at prayer meeting with some of our young people, and I, I deeply and sincerely applaud them for it. Jesus was willing to leave his homeland of Israel. This is the first time he left after he began his ministry. Again, the departure for him leaving, we don't know. Most people say he just wanted a break. I believe he went because he knew he would encounter this woman and he wanted to set a precedent. He was famous for that. He went out of his way to, to cleanse the ten lepers. Uh, he went out of his way to, to meet the woman at the well that we talked about Wednesday night before last. So perhaps... Another part of this could have been, and you'll see it on the screen, perhaps part of the difficulty was because he was struggling to reach his own people. And so he decided to leave the boundaries of his homeland, of his own land. 
And that's why I asked tonight, how far are we willing to go to minister to somebody who the devil is tearing apart? How far are we willing to go to minister to those people? Keep that in mind. Now I'm going to go in another direction a little bit. But keep that in mind as we traverse through this presentation tonight. Whatever the reason he left, no doubt his fame preceded him. And news of his coming somehow reached the ears of this Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman that the Jewish people would have despised. She was a woman of Canaan. Not just being a Gentile, she was just from the wrong part of the world. Just wasn't a whole lot in her favor when it came to dealing with the Jewish people. But no doubt she heard of the miracles and wonders that Jesus had performed the impossible became possible just by his words. He didn't have to go to your house. He didn't have to touch and lay hands on somebody. If he just said it, she no doubt heard that. I just mentioned that a moment ago. She left him and went back home after he said, your daughter's okay, going to be okay, just going back home and everything will be fine. She did. Her faith was challenged. A Gentile woman who knew very little about the Messiah and all of that stuff that the Jewish people knew, her faith was challenged not by seeing anything he did, but just by hearing about things he did. Her faith came by hearing, fulfilling Romans 10, 17. So in desperation, the Syrophoenician woman came seeking Jesus, hoping to be among the first and tired to present her request and petition for help. And she knew in her heart that if he could heal and help others, no doubt he would also be able to help her family. So again, let's go through this dialogue because I want to do my best tonight to impress this on you. She approached him asking for mercy and then re referred to him in Jewish dialogue, if you will, or, or Jewish genre. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. That's strictly Jewish stuff. Um, I know we all have our sayings and, and, and Pentecostal ranks and how we refer to things and whatnot. And this woman learned it. Be like somebody coming into here off the street and just start spitting out all of our Pentecostal-isms to us. And you look at that person like, how do you know that? And you almost feel like you're being mocked in a way. But this woman used that terminology, no doubt, out of just sheer desperation to get his attention. And even though she was a heathen, she must have sensed Jesus' authority and power. And she cried out in desperation for mercy. And she knew, she knew he could bring deliverance to her daughter. So following her cry for mercy, the Syrophoenician woman presented her petition to him. She did not mince words. She made her request immediately. There was no small talk, how are you, hope you're having a good day, none of that. And I want to remind us tonight that when we seek Jesus about a need, impressive or articulate language is not necessary. You don't even have to pray in the King James Version. I've heard a lot of people do that and it fascinates me. He's not impressed with your faking a British accent. By Job, Sire, perhaps you'd like to join me in the parlor for a cup of tea. That don't impress Jesus. As a matter of fact, we know this, that he knows our needs even before we ask. He does. But we still ask. We still must ask. This exceptional woman came seeking Jesus in desperation and cried out to him for help. Not only was she desperate, listen to the pastor tonight, she was determined. The Bible refers to the Syrophoenician woman in two different ways. Matthew called her a woman of Canaan. And Mark referred to her as a Greek. Either way, she is a Gentile. The word Greek often used throughout the Bible when referring to Gentiles. She was a mixture, actually, of several races. The scripture calls her a Gentile just simply because... She's not Jewish. Jesus was probably weary from the pressures of his ministry here. He usually responded immediately to such a cry for help. 
The demoniac of Gadara cried unto Jesus and was delivered in Mark 5. And the synagogue ruler Jairus came to Jesus and besought him greatly concerning his daughter. And Jesus responded by raising her from the dead. But it's interesting to me when the Syrophoenician woman made her request, Jesus said nothing. I'm learning from this that just because Jesus acted in a certain way towards someone else doesn't always mean he's going to act the same way towards us. Jesus works in mysterious ways his wonders to, conform, to perform. And I think sometimes we will judge and say, well, God, you did that for them and you blessed them and you worked that out for them. Why don't you do it for me? Jesus proves right here that even when you're being assaulted by the devil, he has set a precedent to ignore you, not according to some biblical standard per se, but because of what cultural norms was being imposed upon him at the time. The disciples certainly didn't help. They didn't offer any encouragement to Jesus when they said, send her away, for she crieth after us. I don't ever see where us is being addressed in this scripture setting. She came strictly to Jesus as though the disciples were not even there. Probably a wise choice. But despite her background and her knowing the Jews' opinion of her people, she continued her plea to Jesus. I will ask you again tonight, if you came to the house of God with a need and you were just simply ignored, don't even have the courtesy to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Would you feel so inclined to ask again? Especially when all the people that are attendants here don't want you here. Get out of here. We don't even want you in here. What would you do? What would you say? This woman was not only desperate, but we need to give her some appreciation tonight because... She was determined. And I think sometimes if we would replace the feelings on our sleeve with a little more determination in our heart, we might gain a whole lot more in our relationship with God than perhaps where we are now. And everybody say amen. It would seem that Jesus just turned his back on this woman, on her earnestness, on her suffering. And finally, after the disciples kind of settled down and waited to see what he would do, he finally turned around and said, I'm not here because of you. I don't have anything to do with you and your people. How would that make us feel tonight to hear Jesus say or to hear somebody in church leadership say, not only do we not like you, we don't even like your family. We don't even like the place where you live in that neighborhood where you live. As a matter of fact, we don't even like your whole country. Get out of here. Y'all feel me here tonight? I think Jesus realized, and I, he was, I believe he was having this dialogue with this woman at this level because he knew what she was going to do. And he was making an example out of her, but not in a bad way. He was showing his disciples, teaching them a lesson, that if I tell you no, or if I ever ignore you when you pray the next time, when you're out on the stormy sea and you call out to me and I don't show up, don't be so quickly inclined to get your feelings hurt over it. When you don't have your way, and you can say, well, they had cultural right they even had religious rights about this woman because she was a gentile and she wasn't from a very good place and all that stuff you can say whatever you want regardless of your status in culture or society or in race when you were ignored by someone and then turned around and told i can't have anything to do with you mainly because of my religion what does that say what does that say Listen to pastor tonight, where Jesus set a precedent, leaving his homeland, leaving Israel, traveling into Lebanon to minister to this woman. He knew how far he was willing to go. Now he was testing her 
to see how far she was willing to go. And now he's testing his disciples to see how far they're willing to go. Let me ask Grace Church again, now that you understand more context. How far are we willing to go to help somebody? Want God to use you? This is an amazing story once it's all done. But when you're trying to make your way through it, it gets real complicated and it gets real offensive. It's really, this is a horrible way to treat somebody we would all have a right to say, in my opinion. Jesus ignoring the woman and saying, I'm not here to have anything to do with you. And the woman refused to take no for an answer. She was showing the disciples how far she was willing to go when she didn't really understand who Jesus even was. She used the appropriate Jewish terminology, but I don't read where she had any particular revelation of Christ like the woman at the well did, the Samaritan woman. She was just approaching Jesus the best way she knew how, and his disciples were beginning to see that it does impact the heart of God when you're determined and you're desperate and you will not take no for an answer. This woman was willing to go as far as she could to get her need met. And how many times I've heard my pastor, Brother Young, say it many times years ago, is how many times have we come to God and then quit seeking, quit searching, quit praying when the answer is just one more prayer away? I'm not getting one sound of response from anybody here tonight, but I'm still right in what I'm teaching. And I know y'all are all just listening. We're just listening, Pastor. But an amen once in a while would indicate that. Uh, anyway, it's all good. She knew Jesus could help her. And she wasn't leaving until she got that help. She was... She adamantly continued her pursuit of him. She worshipped him, sobbing at his feet, Lord, help me. And then he made that, that statement that would have made many turn away in despair and in total, complete rejection when he said, it's not meat, it's not okay, it's not appropriate to take bread meant for children and give it to the dogs. If anybody here tonight has any level of pride about you, you're not going to listen to anybody talk to you like that. You're not going to call me a, a dog, dude. I'm just sorry. I'm not referring to Jesus as dude here. I'm just in our vernacular and the way we talk sometimes. You, you, you're not, you, now you've crossed the line. You can ignore me, and you can say you're not about my people, but don't call me no dog, man. I'm not a dog. I'm still a human. Okay, that would be the response. Jesus makes that response. And I wondered how much her response surprised the disciples. You're right. Everything you just said is true. I am everything you've said. You, about my people, about my family. You can even call my daughter a dog. But it still doesn't take away the fact that I need for you to help me. Call me whatever name you want. Put me whatever social bracket you want, whatever cultural bracket you want. You can be as ugly as you want to be. But the woman was willing to go however far it took, not in steps, not in feet, not in miles, but in persistence. I will, I will run this. I will ride this. I will stay here. I will nag you. I will bug you. Not to be pesty. But Jesus, you just don't understand what it's like in my house. And where Jesus shows us through his ministry how he was used, I believe he's also showing through this woman how God can use people. Not only to have their need met, but to teach all the people around them that no matter how God treats you, he is still the only answer you've got if things at your house and in your life are going to change. I learned it the hard way when my dad passed away. I got bitter. I was very, very hurt. And as I've told the story before, a very prominent man 
faith healer, all of that, prophesied that my dad was not going to die, and we, we believed that, and he died. I got real crossways with God over that. I cried till I couldn't cry anymore. This went on for almost two years after his death. And uh, it wasn't so much that he died as that I felt like God lied. Being very careful here, but this man, this man of God, this prophet said it wasn't going to happen, and it happened. And I was disillusioned, and I became bitter. And it, 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 the thought crossed my mind as a, a teenage boy, about 17 years old, 18 at the time, that, buddy, you'd be a whole lot better off to have God as your friend than your enemy, no matter how you perceive he's treating you. There's people here tonight need to hear that. It doesn't matter how the church treats you. It doesn't matter how the pastor treats you. It is still imperative that you stay friends with God. Y'all understand me? You can get bitter. You can pout and you can get bitter and all of that and walk out the door all you want. But that ain't going to land you in heaven no matter what you do until you get that right. Only God's going to get you to heaven and you ain't going unless you're right with him. Does everybody understand that? Uh, think about that. <clears throat> Possibly he tried to counter her persistence by making his mercy more apparent to her. In other words, salvation was appointed for the Jews, but because his own received him not, the Gentiles had a chance at salvation. Perhaps he was setting a precedent for that to come in the future. I don't believe our loving God ever meant to portray the woman as a dog. Instead, he knew the time had to come to fulfill the purpose for his coming to the earth, and that is to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe that's why he went into the country of Lebanon. He knew he was going to encounter this woman, and he had a mighty lesson to teach in doing that. So the woman was desperate. She was determined but here's another thing that Jesus had a hard time ignoring, and I never saw this in this scripture setting until I started studying this for tonight. This woman delighted in Jesus. To her, he was her only source of hope. Y'all understand that? She didn't have Walgreens and CVS, and she didn't have counselors and therapists and, and all of this. She didn't have all of that. She didn't have medication to give her daughter. She didn't have the all the stuff that, that happens with kids. Now, she didn't have none of that. She had no hope. And she did recognize in her little Gentile way that her daughter was being grievously vexed by a devil. And what the little girl was doing, I don't know. But I can promise you it wasn't pleasant in this woman's house ever. And just seeing Jesus, whether he ministers to me or not, whether he helps me or not, it's just so amazing to be here with him, to see him. To see him in person, I'm not just hearing stories anymore. Here he is in the flesh. And I'm delighted, I'm amazed that to just run into him. I can't believe this moment is here. I like to say oftentimes to people, I said it Sunday morning praying with some people, this is your God moment. This is your God moment. This was her God moment. She was meeting God robed in flesh face to face. Can you imagine how awesome that was? She was desperate. She was determined. But, buddy, she was delighted. She wasn't coming as a martyr. She wasn't coming as a victim. She wasn't coming because everybody else slammed their door in her face, whatever. This woman was excited. She was thrilled. Hallelujah. This is my chance. Praise God. I'm about to get my answer met. I'm about to get my prayer answered. I'm fixed to have a great time right here because here's Jesus in the flesh. I wonder how it would be for us if we got that excited when we knew Jesus was in the house. Amen. Everybody clap your hands to Jesus. And because of her being delighted, Jesus and all that he said could have crushed her spirit. But her understanding her God moment I know she heard what he said, but I don't think it would have the I don't think it had the impact on her that maybe it would have had on us if he had talked to us like that. He's ignored you. He's called you a dog. He said, "I'm not come for you. Get out of my way, whatever." 
She was still excited. I can't believe this. Jesus, I heard what you said, but that's not ignoring the fact. I'm not ignoring the fact that I'm in your presence and I'm going to continue to respond like this because I know who I'm talking to and I know the source of hope and the source of power and all of that that you possess. And God, I'm going to be, you can say whatever you want, but I'm just happy to be here right now. And I believe it's illustrated when Jesus said it's not me to take the children's bread. She said, I'm good with that. I'm not asking you to take anything away from one single Jewish person. I'm not asking to be replaced. I'm not asking to take the place of a Jewish person in your presence. I'm not asking for any of that. I'm not asking for the whole loaf of bread. I'm not asking for massive revelation and understanding. I'm not asking to attend your church from now on. I'm not asking for any of that. But this is what I do know. You are so powerful. If you would just pinch off just a little bit of who you are. That's all I need. And I go back to that Jesus, our son of David thing. I don't know what she had heard with her using that statement with him. I don't know what all she had heard about him. But for her to understand the power that he possessed, that a crumb, however you want to dissect that, however you want to look at that, but just the the most minuscule part of him was enough to kick any devil out of her house and out of the life of her daughter. It just don't take a whole lot of God to deal with the devil is what she was saying. So, you ministered all your Jewish people and whatever part of you they don't want and they don't accept and they don't like and whatever they, they just scrape off and wipe off on the floor, give me that. That's all I need to handle the devil that's vexing my daughter. That's a powerful statement. She was not at all put off that perhaps she would not be given the total of what He represented to his chosen people. A plain, simple, humble woman presented her petition over and over again. And in so doing, she moved the maker of the universe to act on her behalf. Jesus declared that from the days of the Old Testament times that if someone was of a humble and contrite heart, they would not be turned away. So it seems that God himself on this occasion saw the the contrite and the selfless attitude of this woman as an opportunity for mercy and truth to come together. And he presented that to her through that conduit. I believe he addressed her in a very cool, authoritative manner, manner, and she reciprocated with humility. She didn't get angry. She didn't get her feelings hurt. She didn't get put out. None of that. He felt the faith and the hope of this amazing woman and he wanted to do nothing but to minister to her and he did so my question to you tonight is how far are you willing to go to meet somebody like that and to minister to them even if they're across the aisle on Sunday morning and how many of you could put yourself in her place how far would you go how desperate and determined would you be how delighted would you be to be in his presence something to think about I want God to use me and we all say this however he chooses is fine with me but I I don't know if we understand the statement of that I don't think we understand the whole magnitude of that statement God use me however you want do you really mean that would you go and meet a woman like this and be willing to minister to her, someone completely of another race, another country, somebody having devil problems? Really? I mean, you know, if your marriage is bad, I'll talk to you a little bit about that. And if you need some parental advice, I can sure give you that. But if you got a devil in your house, <laughs> that's a whole horse of a different color right there ain't it I'll conclude with this when we pastored in Youngstown we had a very troubled man 
in our church. He was of not just another faith, but the things that he believed was so convoluted. I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of William Branham, but he is what is called a Branhamite. And uh, I believe it's a very demonic thing. I think embracing that philosophy of presentation and what have you that, that William Branham came up with a number of years ago, I think it's, it's very demonic. That's my opinion. And he embraced it full all the way. And I talked to a missionary, a brother, Matt Carpenter, a missionary to Africa. There's a huge following of William Branham in various parts of Africa. And he said in all of his years of being a missionary there, he never converted one. Never could get him out of that mindset. It's just, it's a brainwashing thing, whatever. Anyway, I went to this man's house one night. His marriage was falling apart. He had a lot of issues, a lot of anger issues, just a lot of issues, a lot of bad things. And he was an ex-Vietnam veteran. And to be honest with you, I was a little scared of him. <clears throat> he was very volatile. Never knew what he was going to do. He had an incredible temper, a lot of anger issues. And... Um, as I sat there and talked to him, it was just me and him. We didn't have cell phones back then, so it wasn't, I couldn't just dial 911 or call somebody from the church. It was just me and him, sat across the living room from him. And uh, I got a lot of spewing out of him and immediately took authority and control over that, and you're not going to talk to me that way and use words that you were using and that kind of thing. And I said, you settle down and you listen to me. I said, you are being vexed with a devil bad. As a matter of fact, I believe you're possessed with a demon. And God wants to deliver you right now. Anybody want to go down this path with me? No? We're apostolic. We have the power of the Holy Ghost, remember? Jesus was going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, not only with all the things I mentioned tonight about this woman, her culture, and all of that, a Gentile and her beliefs and all that, there's a devil in her house. And uh, he was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with that. His disciples were against him. <clears throat> so I looked at that man. I said, God's going to deliver you right now. And I got up and went and sat beside him on the couch. His face turned blood red. And I laid hands on him. And in the name of Jesus, come out of him. I literally replaced my fear with faith. It wasn't faith was prevailing over fear. I just took complete and total authority in the name of Jesus come out of him. And the man literally fell across his couch and his face turned pale, almost gray. And I thought, my God, this man has died right here. I did. I, I thought he was dead. He wasn't moving. Didn't even look like he was breathing. And I'm sitting here, brain just going 100 miles an hour. God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And uh, all of a sudden, he hopped up off the couch. Excuse me tonight, but he went to the restroom and just threw up and threw up and threw up. When he came back, his face was just rosy pink, and he was as happy as a lark and looked like his feet was about that high off the ground. And he said, I have never felt like this before. Would God use you? Is fear preventing that from happening I'm not suggesting go look for somebody that's devil possessed and go to their house and just handle it but if the door opens and God gives you the wisdom and understanding what's at hand and what have you would you be willing to be used of God if it happened here at our church would you be willing to be used of God we had another man that was devil possessed came to our church on a Sunday night and I told my youth pastor to go pray with him I'm going to come over there in a minute and cast the devil out of him and you go pray with him, and I'll be there in a minute. And the youth pastor literally said this. He asked me a question right back. He said, who, me? I'm not talking to 14 people here, man. You're the only one I'm talking to. Yeah, you. You go pray with him. I was doing that for his training, and uh, we, we cast the devil out of that man. When we were in Baker, uh, it was a very unfortunate situation, but... There's some people here tonight that may remember this. They were fairly new to the church at that time, and there was a, a young lady, I think she was about 14, 15 years old at that time, was right there in the singing, right there in the singing on a Sunday morning. Just 
the devil just took over that little girl. I'm not saying she was possessed, but she was oppressed of the devil. And a lot of bad things had happened to her. It was a horrible story. And I remember I looked at Brother Merrill by me on the platform. I said, go take care of that. It's humorous after the fact, but it's not at the time. He didn't ask the question, who, me? But his face said it. And he did. He walked back there and laid hands on that little girl in the name of Jesus, and she immediately just laid down on the bench and virtually went to sleep. And that never happened to her again. This is who we are. And I want everybody to understand here tonight, and this is my point, and I'm done. People can categorize what their problems are. It can be depression. It can be fear. It can be loneliness. It can be anxiety. It can be all these things. But where do those things come from? Where does it come from? It's a spirit. It's, it's not angels. It's other things that cause this to happen. So when you talk to someone depressed, you're not just confronting depression, but you're confronting what's behind it. When you want to help somebody with anxiety, you're not just helping them with anxiety, but you're helping what's behind it. And we have to understand that. Would God use us? Yes, he will. If we're willing to step out of our comfort zone, exercise our faith, throw fear out the window, and let the Lord have his way. So, Grace Church, God is wanting to use everybody here, and we have to be willing to do that. And everybody say amen. amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Y'all are amazing people. Love this church dearly. And um, let's come out here Sunday morning with our shouting shoes on, worship our faith. Let's show up and let the Lord have his way. What do you say? God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name, and we'll see you Sunday morning. Thank the Lord. <clears throat>